Hello, everyone. I'm Ben West. And I'm Matthew Cantrell. Welcome to... How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, just Are you doing on... well or are you being well? Oh, wow. Um, I yeah, am... We just went deep quick. Yeah, I am doing well. And I am in a state of being that is, you know, good. <laughs> See, amazing. I'm, I'm doing well, but I am good because I was made good. What? Ooh, there you go. You are good. There There's a quick shout out to my friend Steve Lawson. He has a product called the Monk Manual, which is a like a planner. And the kind of tagline is in, like, in, uh, what is it? Integrating being and doing. Don't just be a human doing, be a human being yeah. uh, and getting people to just sort of like sit and rest and be at peace with who they are and understand like that leisure and like part of living is not just constant activity, but actually mm-hmm. moments of you know reflection and stillness. Now, I was talking to our pastor about that uh, the other day. He gave a homily on really? Sabbath and just the state of Sabbath and what it means. And it was just so cool that like um, we talked about like you know, it's obvious, but it's still true that God rested on the seventh day. But God, if we understand God to be God, isn't tired. Like, he didn't exhaust an amount of power. He is, you know, you know, omnipotent. So he has unlimited power that does not exhaust. And so what does it mean that he rested? It means he sat and he enjoyed it. Dude. Okay, and so we're... he didn't stop enjoying it, which means the Sabbath is an eternal moment of enjoying his creation and participating in his creation and being with his creation. And he never stops being with it. So he's like constantly in Sabbath with us. And we, by being with him, get to enter into that Sabbath that we put aside the things that distract us or the work that can hold us back. And we just are. And he's saying like too often we just like, we let our Fridays be our Sabbath, quote unquote. And mm. then our Sundays are our work day where we catch up or get homework done, things like that. And he's like, it's just so backwards that like Friday is yeah. actually the day in the Catholic church where we offer sacrifice penance. and yeah. penance, right? And we, that's when we get works done, not works for salvation, of course, but like, like the things that we're supposed to be getting done, done. And then um, Sunday is a day that we should just be. And he was just mm-hmm. challenging that of like every day should have a mini Sabbath in it where you just are. And he's saying often too, we think Sabbath is just entertaining ourselves like, oh, my yeah, Sabbath yeah. will be like watching this TV show or, you know, playing a video game. And it's like, those are good things. I watch TV shows and I, I don't play video games anymore, but like, I, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. it's so important to like do something that helps you just be like well, going yeah. on a walk or sitting out on your porch or just like lighting a candle and reading a book, like, you know, which is <laughs> still a form of entertainment, but like it's different because you are, you're engaging yourself. You're not turning yourself off. Yeah, two two things. I uh, Scott Hahn is an excellent uh, speaker and uh, illuminator of theological truths, and he's got a book called Holy is His Name, where he uses the uh, vocabulary of covenant a lot. Uh, but he, he speaks of the uh, the seventh day of creation as God actually swearing a covenant and making an oath with creation. Um, and that is, it is hallowed because of that, just as a way to kind of plus what you were saying there. Um, but yeah, that like, I think there is a strong distinction to draw between 
things that are sort of like vibing out and things that are actually rest because uh, like even like you're saying watching a movie and I, I would say reading a book too is is actually not a passive activity it, like you are so there's there's perhaps a spectrum um i think there is a le- like you're you're required to be engaged you're required to be alert and sort of you're you're, you're actively receiving even though it, it it is like passive in a certain sense you're um i guess like wrapped up in that um but yeah that understanding a relationship with God as just that a relationship means that like people who have a deep relationship analog like this will sort of like can sort of understand it intuitively. But unfortunately, like many people actually don't have, you know, a deep friendship or a, a deep interpersonal relationship to compare this to, but to be able to just sort of like sit with someone else that you share a deep relationship with, and to not feel compelled to share words and to ask about the weather and to fill it with conversation and to just be content to be with each other. I think that's like, that seems to me like um, a much that like that when God says like <laughs> rest, I, I think that's kind of what, what comes to mind for me. Something for me is like, we are all, always constantly like taking in things. Like one of the things that, uh, and this might be kind of going in a different direction than we had thought about, but one of the things that that made me think about was like, we watched the movie, My Neighbor Totoro is a family. Um, and my girls have been obsessed with it. How Miyazaki's Studio Ghibli um, movie came out in the, uh, I think 86 or 88, but um, excellent movie. But the pacing is so slow and it's great. It's just nature. <laughs> it's like a family moves out to the country and they run around the forest and they just enjoy being together as sisters and just adventure and have fun. And slowly in small like encounters, they meet this forest spirit um, called Totoro, which is this big fluffy, like kind of like a bunny, kind of like a bear, massive creature um, who's just nice and, you know, makes his funny noises and gives them acorns that they plant. And then a giant tree grows and, um, he shows up and and just part of their life. And um, their dad is just an awesome dad. Who's like, I learned how to be a better father from watching him Mm -hmm. be a father. Um, And the kind of conflict of it is that the girl's mom is sick in the hospital and they want her to come home. And she constantly is unable to, but um, is encouraging her girls from afar. And um, the youngest daughter wants to go and bring her mom a gift when she finds out that she might be sick in a, like getting really sick. Um, cause they get a telegram and, and are told to call the hospital immediately and they think, is mom dying? Is this it? So the youngest little four-year-old girl takes a ear of corn, um, that a well-meaning old lady was like, um, oh, if my mom ate this, she'd feel better. It's like, your mom would be able to come home right away if she ate that. And so <laughs> right. then this four-year-old goes on the three-hour trip to try and go to the hospital and gets lost in the forest. And now she, they can't find her. And so yeah. Totoro helps the oldest sister find her. And so it's a sweet movie, but it's just like really slow pace. And like, you're like, when is something going to happen? And you realize yeah. something is happening, but I'm mm. so used to fast paced, like action, action, action that like, I'm actually not really able to appreciate how slow this movie is, but it was actually like relaxing is like a cross between a beautiful family engagement and a nature documentary. And it, mm. it was like, what the heck? How, why am I, why am I 
feeling that sense of like being and relaxation and almost Sabbath, like watching this kids movie about this goofy creature and like a cat bus, a, like a cat whose body cat is a bus, bus is my favorite. with like yeah. 12 legs. And it's like, what the heck? But it's just so good. And so that that's something that I found really interesting is like, I found myself like, gosh, this movie's kind of slow. But I realized like, maybe I need that. <laughs> like maybe mm-hmm. I need to slow down and just be and enjoy. And so that's been kind of a, a fun movie. And the more I watch it, the more I just appreciate just the, the beauty of, what goes on in that movie and the family dynamics and just kind of the nature and enjoying the scene and being out in the country. I mean, what you're describing is like classic Hallmark Miyazaki. Like that is everything that he does. And even across his movies that have more um, action in them, they've all got that bent. They've all, they're all a little slower, a little longer and a little more slice of life. Um, That that's something that has definitely shocked me. And like, as an as an American viewer, I was immediately like, what is happening? Because this is not following a format that I'm familiar with. And only in seeing those did I realize that I had become very accustomed to a particular <laughs> format. And it like, you just don't find movies that I guess have that type of, you know, individual voice as much in the American cinema. I think everything that is kind of like blockbuster status definitely follows a pattern right and and it's actually like a conscious pattern so there was we may have talked about this before but uh there's a book by blake snyder called save the cat which in which he proposes these kind of essential story beats these things that kind of happen in sequence in the telling of a story and there's some truth to them i think one of the things that happens to the detriment of our stories kind of starting with that type of framework is that everything then feels compelled to shoehorn itself into that particular structure and it's like okay this is page 42 it's time to introduce conflict you know this is page 36 time for fun and games uh and that's it's not to say that he was anywhere like off base in kind of making the summary and i think you could probably compare that or, or sort of like apply that template across you know films that do seem like they break the genre and there's probably a lot of similarities but I think American writers tend to look at the, that book as like, this is how you write a story. Um, and then everything comes out the same. So uh, that, like you do get individual voices making these sort of like unique movies in the way that Miyazaki does. But they're nowhere near as popular as um, the, the Ghibli movies. Um, and they're much more, I think, relegated to the indie scene. So, which is a shame because I, I I love, love watching Miyazaki's movies for all the reasons that you mentioned. It's like, I don't feel like we've started this and immediately we're catapulting to the moon. It's like, you're just showing me a sweet family um, or maybe a dysfunctional family. I love actually uh, uh, Ponyo. Have you seen Ponyo? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the mom is so like overwhelmed and like sassy and you just... You don't want to mess with her. And her driving gives me anxiety. <laughs> but, you know, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Sasuke? Sasuke? Uh, he's super cute. But he's just very genuine um, and very innocent. And I think that that's one of the things that is kind of present across all of Miyazaki's movies is like youth and its innocence um, and a certain tranquility of uh, specifically with nature. Like all the backgrounds that they paint are just immaculate and they're so... They're dreamlike and they're very 
Japanese, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is a good word for it. Yeah. Well, and to not have an antagonist in a movie is a very <laughs> rare thing. And and he has movies where there's antagonists, for sure. But yeah. uh, Totoro, there is there is no antagonist. It, like, the only antagonist, I guess, would be uh, the mom's sickness, <laughs> which yeah. is very passive. Like, it's more of a conflict started. It's than, just the forces. There is, so there is no antagonist. And it's like, huh. Like that's that's usually a pretty rare thing, because um, even you think like, well, there could be some antagonism in the family dynamics of like we don't believe you when the youngest daughter May comes right. back from seeing Totoro the first time, but the dad is immediately like, that's awesome, like Satsuki and I believe you, like we we believe this happened to you, it must have been a forest spirit talking to you, and it's like, boom, like <laughs> this dad just yes, that's that is awesome, May. I believe that I believe what you're saying. Because I trust you. You're my daughter. And I know you well enough to know you wouldn't lie about something like this. So even though this is bizarre beyond understanding, mm-hmm. I believe you. And even when like the corn shows up at the hospital at the very end of the movie, even though there's no way they could have gotten out there. Um, and he's there with his wife and um, she's like, I could have sworn I just saw Satsuki and May up in that tree with a cat. But like, I must have been imagining it. That, that would be impossible. And the dad's like, Maybe they were. Here's a piece of corn that they were playing with earlier, and it has something written on it. Feel better soon, mommy. He's like, so they probably were here, and it's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, that's awesome. Like you, you expect the dad where they lost the the daughter and they can't find her anywhere. Like they're running around the house, like in, in the woods around, like where's May? And they're like yelling out for her, and they're calling out to try and find her. And as soon as they find her, he's not like, what were you doing in there? Blah blah, because he had to crawl through these thickets to get there. But it's like, oh, hey, how are you? And he's just like, she's okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Like, I don't need to get upset with her for doing something dangerous because she's okay. And I yeah. trust her. And I'm I'm going to gently address this in the right way. And it's like, golly, I don't do that. I'll be like, Yara, <laughs> Gemma, what the heck? Like, you could really hurt yourself doing that or blah, blah. And it's yeah. like, huh. Like, so anyways, I just kind of like that. So there's like not even the antagonism there. <laughs> so where yeah. is it? There isn't any and it's okay. Well, and it's like, why is that okay? I don't know. But that's, and, and this will be interesting because I mean, how familiar are you with Miyazaki's like films? Have you, have you seen like Mononoke? Yeah, that's my favorite one. Mononoke is my favorite and Spirited, Spirited Away. Away is like right next to it. Um, yep. Castle in the Sky and Howl's Moving yep. Castle. I often get mixed up, but they're both great but, movies. Um, too many castles. I know, <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah. How's, how's well, Moving Castle looks like a Pokemon thing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. it's awesome. That one's interesting, and, and that's uh, there are very clear themes that emerge from when you when you sort of take all his movies as a whole, and I think one of them is this sort of like childlike wonder at the or like sorry eyes wide open to the supernatural forces at work in the world. So there's there's always. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say always a look behind the curtain, I guess that it's like, there's these things that people miss because they're, they're passing by too quickly, but there's always like forest sprites and little people, uh, and, uh, ghosts and dragons and all kinds of other things. And it's, it's not even in this way. That's like the myths. Well, it's like, I mean, he might think the myths are true. But, but this sense that like what we perceive as sort of taking up the totality of important things worth paying attention to, uh, 
is a small sliver of what's actually going on in the world. And when we talk about antagonism, it's usually subtle. Like he's able to sort of point to how there's antagonism that like it's, it's somehow comes in the same package as a lot of the goodness that he points out. And so it's like (laughs) in every human heart, you can be selfish and you can be generous. And most people are both at some point in their life. Some people lean one way, other people lean another end. Um, we ought to, you know, avoid the selfishness and we ought to give, uh, you know, indulge the the love and the, the peace and the joy and the wonder. Um, cause he, he calls out very strongly, like it, there's a lot of social commentary in his movies for like w- mechanized war, um, industrialization, um, I mean, other other things, deep advancement in technology, um, and things like that, yeah. where it's like, you know, come like remain with the, what is natural and what is like down to the roots of the earth around us. And like, we are like guests and stewards on this yeah. planet and we, we should not try to subjugate it to our own will, but we should participate in it as an active member of, of a body. Um, and like, to me, even though he's coming from, I don't think he's Christian. I know he's, I, no, no, but, no. um, and he's Just coming from that not. kind of Japanese background of like spirits all around us and things like that. Um, which even if they don't believe that that's part of like the kind of culture is that there are these like, um, spirits, like the legends for Japanese, like, right. like ideas of, of the spirit world around us and things like that. Um, like even their idea of when they talk about demons, it's not, the same like when they the the english term for demon that they translate things into is not our demon thing of like something from Mm -hmm. hell that is purely evil it's like no it's something that is a spirit or force of this world that was corrupted um and tries to harm others because of its with its existence and it's like yeah so like no face in spirited away right the the boar in mononoke right they're they would be considered demons from their perspective but they're actually like um angry they're, things that are lashing to be out redeemed. right and and they are they're able to be healed and redeemed and that's actually part of like those stories sometimes is when a demon comes it's like like am i going to be corrupted by it as well or can i overcome and like even heal this thing um yeah. and you like even see that in spirited away with the blob monster that that comes in um no face uh yeah. oh no, no no there's a there's a disgusting oh like, yeah the river uh well yeah. so yeah you find out it's river, but it's just like just sludge monster is coming yeah. in and it is just disgusting and putrid and people can't like stand the smell and then and I think, as does it, it gets, start hurting people no it just like okay. comes in and it's just disgusting and it gets in the bath and everyone has to be polite because it smells so bad but they like gets in there and then they start to give it the bath tabs to really like clean it off and yeah. then um gosh why am i blanking on the main character's name uh she's awesome uh Chihiro, yeah. Um, and so she sees this like thing stuck inside of the blob that she can tell is hurting it. And she goes and she starts to pull it. And then she keeps pulling. And like all these things, like a bicycle comes out and a bucket yeah. comes out. And you're like, what is, oh, I see what's happening. It was a river, a river spirit that all these, the litter and garbage that was thrown into it made it this sludge monster. But now that it's being <clears throat> purified and cleaned, it's becoming this beautiful river spirit that then gives her um, this like seed that's like a gift 
that ends up healing mm-hmm. people later on in the um, story. And so it's like this idea and these themes that are there of like, we can harm the world with our behavior or we can heal the world. We can dominate the world or we can participate in the world. And like, that's the most interesting thing about Princess Mononoke is, um, you know, there's Princess Mononoke who's like one with nature and like raised by the wolf queen and is fighting actively Lady Eboshi and her people of industrializing and destroying the forests. And like Lady Eboshi's idea is like, I'm going to destroy these spirits that are causing me so much trouble so that I can keep on, you know, doing my industrialization. And so then you have the main character who, again, why am I forgetting his name? Um, uh, Haku. Uh, Haku. No. no? Is it? Um, oh, sorry. Prince Ashitaka. Prince Ashitaka. There you go. So Prince Ashitaka is in the middle of this dispute and he does not pick one side or the other. Like throughout the entire movie, yeah. he stays as the balance between this thing of like subjugating the earth and being willing to kill and destroy the the natural kind of like spirit of the earth in a certain sense or like what makes the earth like live and good so that they can subjugate it. Um, and then you have Princess Mononoke. He's like one with nature and despises well, all of yeah. this industrialization. And then you have him in the middle who is actually trying to work actively with both sides and who's actually yeah. walking the fine line between like one with nature and like the industrialization and trying to find the balance of both. And it's like, I feel like that's Miyazaki himself who's trying to come to odds with here's where the world is going and my concerns with it. But I can't just say that Lady Eboshi and her people are evil. Like she definitely starts out as the antagonist and she does some things that are evil, but even so it's like, she's not the bad guy. And then you you have Mononoke who's like, comes off like she's the princess, like friend and, like good guy but then she's doing some things that are like oh i don't agree with this like this is kind yeah. of too much and so it's this really interesting dynamic in that movie like for the nature stuff that's like it's it's just like the better version of avatar dances with wolves well, i mean <laughs> dances with wolves is such a good movie but like avatar like the blue people avatar um it, it was just kind of like okay i see what right. you're doing but like, and you're joining the nature side and getting rid of humanity and blah, blah. But like, I feel like exactly this, like Princess Mononoke did what the, that movie is trying to do perfectly. Um, yeah. And you're almost unsatisfied with the, the protagonist at the end. Cause it's like, he didn't choose a side and one side didn't win over the other. There's like a, a an uneasy truce left at the, the end. And it's like, wow, which there, is, there wasn't actually a conclusion here. Like, but that's but that's kind of the beauty that like I I love that yeah. it ends there because it's actually like a unity. It's it's takes it from this discord and this conflict to a, a kind of cooperation. And you just pointed out a bunch of great stuff. That's like exactly the reason that I love Mononoke is that like Lady Eboshi is the antagonist, not the villain. Like she she is you you really like her. She's someone who's like defending her people, trying to carve out a way of life for them. She's trying to provide prosperity. She's a strong leader. Um, and she's like, these pesky wolves keep attacking us. And it's like, yeah, well, you're destroying their forest. Uh, but the wolves uh, that raise Mononoke are are bitter and mm-hmm. angry and spiteful. And like, they're really these vengeful kind of like primeval, you know, naturalist spirits. And Mononoke like cannot find it in her heart to forgive humanity. And so she fosters that bitterness through the whole movie Um of just being unwilling to reconcile and unable to sort of see eye to eye um, with their own people because of what they're doing. And so Ashitaka being that one who 
So I think it's it's noteworthy that he. This is great, by the way. I love mm-hmm. that we're talking about this. So in the beginning of the movie, he he is scarred by a demon. Mm-hmm. He he his arm receives this you know black scar that uh, basically is slowly killing him through the movie and will occasionally like lash out. But uh, I, I and I think that's noteworthy. And if I mm-hmm. think of something deeper to comment there, I will. But he uh, he's just like he he sees the good in each and then yeah is is very balanced in the way that he tries to actually like integrate them first within himself and then within the communities right he has like a really deep integrity yeah well he's such a good character because he's he's good like he's good he is good to mononoke and he's good to lady eboshi and he's understanding and caring for each side and genuinely trying to do the best possible thing and so he does enter into like antagonism with eboshi because he's trying to save this like forced god this like if you kill it it's like gonna like cause pandora's box to open like the end of this kind of like chaotic spirit thing that like almost is kind of like triggering this ragnarok if you will uh like greek mythology and i mean sorry nordic mythology um (laughs) we're just going uh, all over the map i know but um you know he's trying to stop her from doing that and he does oppose her but he's doing it for her own good because he knows, like, if you do this, you're actually going to cause something terrible to happen. It's not going to end the way you want it to. But she's like, get out of my way. And it, so he's like, but he's good the entire time. Like, and he never picks a side and there is no resolution. And I think that's actually the right answer for this nature versus humanity movie. Like, because, like, Avatar ends with, like, oh, humanity lost and nature wins. And it's like, okay, but, like, that's not going to be how it is in reality. Like, unless yeah. we just, like, completely overhaul all of our society and go back to, like, being more tribal and nature-oriented, like, we're not, that is not going to be how it concludes, and that's not a feasible response. And he, I think that Miyazaki knows that, that it's, like, mm-hmm. we, like, it can't be that we just, like, destroy Eboshi and make them one with nature, too. But it also can't be that we destroy the nature and subjugate it to ourselves. And there's, like, sci-fi books where, um, like, think of Coruscant from, uh, um star wars star wars but but also in like foundations the main world um there's like it's all steel on top like there's not a lot of nature around and like trees and things like that are like a rare thing and they have fake trees to help humanity feel better because they realize that people cannot stay psychologically healthy without at least the pseudo form of nature around them so it's like the imagine a planet where even our even our quote-unquote nature is composed and made by us um and that that would kill a part of humanity and so i think he finds like the unity here and the balance the and the constant ongoing struggle like the answers were not all found here it's not a perfect unity it's just like a mutual understanding at this moment but like it's like that's that's actually the answer here is we just have to try and keep this balance and keep this steady like we can't pick one of these sides anymore it's too late um, and so we need to find a way to integrate ourselves into both sides in a balanced way, keep that balance. And like, it's so interesting. It's just so interesting. Um, yeah. To see that. That's something, that's something missing, I think, from the modern conversation on ecology and conservation is like, it's, it's not um, so much this, uh, com- uh, gosh, what's the word? It's not about self, self-loathing and just trying to sort of like highlight and then, uh, just own like all of the shame that we have for the way that we've been treating the planet. And it's actually like, okay, we, 
we have been able to do a great deal of damage, but that is because of this kind of unique power that we have to exercise dominion over the earth. And so we actually do have the ability to remedy that because of that power. And we have that responsibility too. And so moving forward, knowing that we have sort of like undergone these major shifts in developing like technologies and industrializations, like how do we take that and how do we actually like point it towards a fuller vision of the human person and a fuller vision of humanity integrated with the created order. Yeah. Um, I'm very, I'm very interested in like where having that conversation and seeing where that goes, because, um, it's, it's really exciting on the one hand, like you, we can begin to imagine like a world that is much richer and holder than the one we experience now, not to say that it's like a utopia, but that, um, there are some easy things that we can begin to do to help integrate, you know, who we are with why we're here. Well, and that's the thing is we're not called to control nature. We're called to cultivate it. And yeah, we, yeah. we're we not the creators of nature. Right. Well, and, and like God gave the earth to Adam. Like he, he told us to till it and to like take care of it. But, but God specifically does that in Genesis and it's the Christian understanding that that's why creation like has natural disasters and the animals act in some of the ways that they do is not because God actually like wills hurricanes and tornadoes. Like, would there have been those without the fall? Well, the answer is really no. Like there would have been some maybe possibility of it, but not to the disastrous degree um, in which it is now because huma- like humanity was given, Adam was given nature and sin entered the world through Adam, but it entered the rest of the world. And it led the universe into a state of entropy and decay and death entered the world. That humanity still has a role in bringing renewal and grace into the earth. That, that God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And the understanding of that is was never, you know, among theologians, church fathers, was never necessarily that God's going to completely wipe out and destroy and like, annihilate current creation and make some brand new creation but that rather even if there's a destructive element to it it is the reforging or the renewing of the creation that was there that he's restoring what it was to an even higher state and so like we play a role in healing the earth so just like mankind backing off and letting nature just be nature and stuff it doesn't help in the same way that the cultivation of nature and the the man being what they were made to be um as we develop and industrialize and control and create and do all this stuff, we have to be cautious and careful of the way it will affect us because it has negative implications if taken the wrong way. Um, like the internet is not inherently evil. There are definitely some things that happen on the internet that are inherently evil, but the internet <laughs> itself is not. We would not be able to keep up our friendship without it. Like we'd have to write letters to each other, you know, and even that's a technology, right? Like when I moved, I was like, oh, but at least there's still things like this where we can stay in touch. And like when I was served as a missionary, our team of missionaries got so close with each other. We were like brothers and sisters to each other. And before the internet, we would have just been like, bye, have a good life. Like some of them went back to England, you know, and like, I see you again. (laughs) Right. But we're able to stay in touch and keep up with one another through group chats, through zoom meetings and things like that. I can stay in touch with some of the most, like my, my siblings, you know, like there were times when, you know, I was living far away from my family 
And I have had brothers that have lived out of state in different parts of the country and have one now. It's my brother Jacob's birthday, and he lives in Kansas City, Missouri. And Shout out to Jacob. Happy yeah. birthday. Love you, Jacob. And, uh, you know, we were able to send a video, and we tried to video call him, but they were out to dinner. But we sent a little happy birthday video, and we're all able to keep in touch through our family group chat. And um, it's it's so nice to be able to stay integrated. So, you know... I definitely don't want it to sound like I'm saying these things are inherently evil or they're bad and we need to go back to, because I I also have friends who have like, you know, for their own personal discernment, like left and gone out and like are are on their own and, you know, want to be out and in like far away nature and away from society and in a deeper rural society and kind of like we, we intentionally want to do a more monastic lifestyle with one another. I think that's beautiful. Um, And I, I, you know, there's a point where my wife and I were like, should we do that too? And we really prayed about it. And we just felt like God was calling us to stay, you know, in a different place. And so it's never a, those people are bad for that um, or anything like that. It's like, oh, there's like different calls and different ways to interact with these things. So it's more of just like that element of like, when, like how Moshi is not the bad guy, but she was the common antagonist and the main driver of conflict in the plot. Like, I think that that side kind of bears that burden sometimes of like, as we industrialize and subjugate the world to our own will, we have to recognize that like, um, it's more important to try not to manifest our own will, but to manifest the will of God. Um, Yeah. To realize that he's, he's the one in charge. That's, I think, exactly the place where it needs to land. Because like in the way that you mentioned how in Genesis, like sin entered the world through man, like redemption also enters the world through a man first and foremost in Jesus Christ. So like we, we have a part to play in healing the world, but that healing actually takes place in ourselves first. So in, in people's sort of like uh, hurry to uh, be a part of like solutions for these things that are clearly problems. Um, and I'll just leave it vague, like fill in whatever sort of ecological disaster you want. <laughs> there. Um, it's like, there, there's like this justice, like the cry for justice. And we got to like do something and do it now. And it's like, yes, yes, we do. But the reason that it got this way is because people like built something, looked on the work of their hands and said, aren't I great? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we do more of this? It's the Tower of Babel. And, and when people use they're um like uh I, I think yeah the difference between dominion and domination right when they use their their power for creation cultivation for domination instead then it is crafting creation into the image of man rather than into the image of god um and that's that's just a, I, it's it's really that simple uh but it's also that that difficult right that uh i think real change will will happen once we are able to develop that understanding and that internal look and it needs to be fed by those moments of Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think also just like that, um, that element of like, we have something that we have to hand down and share with the future. Like we don't get to just have this as our own because we we're here now. Like, um, and that's a whole point of conversation with like reserving and, and taking care of nature is like, okay, well, future generations are going to need these same kinds of resources and future generations are going to inherit the world that we create. Are we giving them something better or worse? Um, And like, there's this kind of almost nihilistic attitude sometimes 
that can be dangerous. I see it sometimes on both sides, but this idea of like, oh, like the universe is basically like a really slow firework in that when a firework happens, it blasts into the air, it explodes and it's beautiful while it's happening and then it all burns away to nothing and it ends and that was it. And like sometimes people treat the universe that way where it's like, you know, oh, there was the big bang, (laughs) everything's going out. And it's all entropic, so it's all going to burn away and fizzle out. And so, you know, do what you want to do and live the way you want to live and do what you want to do to the world around you because, like, you know. None of it matters anyway. That's it. And and I think that's dangerous. Um, there is There has to be that understanding that even, even though that there is an entropic element and that the world is going to that, like, we should not, therefore, be harmful to other people, like, we cannot live with that kind of like, you know, excess of indulgence that can bring harm to future generations, even if it is the end, you know, um, a false version of that would be like, well, we're going to go to the moon. And like, we just went to, on the Artemis mission to the moon. I'm so excited about this. Um, but we didn't. No one was on it. That's what I'm so upset about. <laughs> well, no, they had to because they have to test a life support system to make sure no. everything is safe and good. They, no, they it's had, empty. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They sent it empty because they have to test the life support system Uh, long-term around the moon and then the heat shield to re-enter the atmosphere. Um, It hasn't been tested yet. So they didn't want to send them up there. Like the the dummies that are there that are really cool dummies um, are there wearing the gamma radiation suits to make sure the gamma radiation uh, doesn't kill the passengers. um, And it'll test the levels of gamma radiation as they travel to the moon. And then also because they want to build a space station out there that will revolve around it, they have to make sure the life support systems can maintain for more than just a day or so. Like they're going to stay around there for several days to make sure everything's in order, working, and it's not like going to break down on them. And then they have to do the reentry shield. And and if the shield works, um, skimming the atmosphere and then doing the ballistic entry, um, if it can survive and the passengers survive, the false passengers survive in there. Then they'll know it's safe, and the next mission will send up people. Or if something goes wrong with one of those things, they'll send another test one up um, until they know that the passengers will have have a very high likelihood of returning safely. Um, I love how much you know about that. That is awesome. Space travel is so cool. It's so cool. I, I am still really disappointed in this mission because we have been to the moon before. <laughs> yeah, it's been 50 know- years. That's my thing. It's like, man, it took 50 years to get us back here. That's because it took a while to get technology to advance to the point where we could do more than just what we did before with the Apollo missions, where it's like, we're going to build a space station that revolves around the moon that hopefully will be a permanent one if they find the right materials in the craters on the South Pole that they think they'll find. They'll actually be able to maintain the space station and the life support system using the minerals and the resources of the moon so they won't have to ship it from the Earth every time. And then they'll build a um, colony down on the moon and they'll use that for a platform to travel interstellarly if they can. So the next thing would be in the next 50 years, they're hoping that they'll have a launch from the moon to Mars. Um, and we're going to be working on terraforming technology so that we can terraform Mars. That's this fancy word for making it livable on Mars to get it to the Goldilocks zone of 8 degrees Celsius and 12% oxygen um, and a certain amount of water on there and stuff. So they would be able to then live on Mars. But the thing about terraforming, which is so cool, is if we learn how to terraform Mars, we can also terraform Earth and heal it from some of the ways that we've harmed Earth. 
I was going to say, talk about exercising dominion. <laughs> right, right. So Make if, Mars livable. <laughs> yeah, and if we do, we can actually heal some of the places where we've hurt and scarred the earth um, if we learn how to terraform correctly, and it's safe. Um, because, of course, we'll be able to terraform without people living on Mars. So <laughs> if it's only safe to right. do when there's no one living on it, then we'd have to, like, evacuate all of mankind to Mars and then do it to the Earth. But whatever. Point is, is it's like, it's just exciting to see us moving in this way. Um, totally. So uh, uh, my di- that was a digression. But my, my point with that was just meant to be like, we can't then be like, well, let's destroy the Earth to get to Mars. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. Yeah. we have to be cautious I mean, you and gotta, careful with what you gotta we You got to kill the ego. You gotta, you gotta acknowledge that you're part of a family. One of the sort of progressions that I've had to make, and there will be people who disagree with me on this, but I think uh, reading the Bible and sort of coming to this evolution of an understanding of like, oh, like mankind is not just a branch of the evolutionary tree. We actually really are like singled out and special and unique among created, uh, among creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that caused me to kind of read the Bible as anthropocentric, as being the story of man. Um, but I think if if we're actually reading the story, where it begins, where it ends, the, the narrative itself is theocentric. Mm-hmm. Like this is about God. Um, we play a unique and privileged role within the work that he has created. And we are um, very special and very important and infinitely loved. And he came and he died for us uh, because he couldn't uh, stand to weather eternity without these precious children. Uh, but it's about him like he he is he is the alpha and the omega he is the greatest thing that will ever exist he is existence and um it is his story so that's that's an important i guess part of perspective in all of this is that like it's not just about um you know humanity being good for humanity's sake it's humanity being good because it's chosen by god Mm -hmm. he is preeminent in all things Mm -hmm. and all things came to be and were made through him so Appropriate awesome. on today, the Feast of Christ the King. Yeah, that's right. King of the universe. That's one of my favorite parts of that is like the yeah. solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the universe. Like the entire Suck thing, not just like earth people. <laughs> there you go. That'd, no. be, that'd be a fun conversation. Is uh, we, should, we should do an episode on Doctor everything, Strange. everywhere, all at once. Oh, and yeah. Then, and then have a conversation about the multiverse and like For multiverse sure. theory and how does that combat with... Uh, Christian teaching. <laughs> Dude, let's that's do whole it. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. This was great. I'm, this I'm was so great. glad yeah. that we got to talk about, I've been waiting to want and wanting to talk about Miyazaki. Um, and like, honestly, I, I'm going to say it better than Disney. But- in my opinion. <laughs> I think so. I think it's better that than Disney. I'm, coming out of your mouth, I cannot believe those words. No, I, th- I think so. I think I, I like, personally, I know it's yeah. a subjective opinion, but like personally, I like, Ghibli stuff better than Disney for sure, hundred percent. They each have their strengths. Yeah, I think uh, uh, right. Ghibli wins out for me too. This has been really great, as sure usual. Has. Like I could yeah. talk for another three hours about this with you. So we should we should do another Ghibli movie in the future. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate you and your insights and um, even the nuance and clarification you bring to my crazy like wild broad <laughs> ideas. Like oh, it like, goes both ways. I like go our- like off into the universe and you're like hey let's stay let's stay grounded somewhere though i'm like thanks ben <laughs> well in our coco episode i was like so purgatory and you're like okay listen man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no that was i i got a lot of good feedback from people on the purgatory oh, episode. Nice. i don't know about you but like I, that. and uh it. you know if you have a favorite episode or best episode so far let us know because it lets us know what you like to listen to so 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And follow us on our new social media. We've got an Woo! Instagram. Uh, Twitter. We'll be posting on that. We got Twitter. If you are listening to this on Thursday, which is uh, Thanksgiving, actually, uh, but we are going to be on a uh, part part of a virtual conference called Legend Haven, which is a place for um, Catholic and Orthodox, and I'm just going to expand that to say Christian authors um, to come and share about story writing and uh, the value of story and to just uh, be a place of networking, of support, of shared mutual love for stories um, and narrative and what they impart to our lives. We're going to be hosting a panel um, at 1 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. 26th. 26th, there it is. Um, uh, just about essentially this podcast and, and what we do and what we talk about, uh, pr- having discussions about the themes in the movies that we love and watch. Um, so come and join us um, as part of Legend Haven. It is free. Um, mm-hmm. Come meet some cool people. Um, we hope to see you all there. Yeah, and if you're a creative, especially a writer who has um, been looking for a community, this is a great community for you to join. Um, and two weeks ago, we had the episode with Dominic D'Souza. This is um, the same um, organization and conference that he was talking about there and putting together. So yeah, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. But man, he had so many good things saying that conference is going to be that on steroids. So Exactly, um, more. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes. Happy yes. Thanksgiving. Hope Enjoy you have a blessed turkey. time with your family. If you're traveling, know that we are praying for all of our listeners, um, and we wish you a very happy uh, Thanksgiving. Indeed. Give thanks. God bless. Thank you for listening to Echoes of Eternity. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, leave us a five-star rating if you like the show, and be sure to tell us your thoughts and what you want Ben and Matthew to talk about in future episodes. Tune in next time to hear more Eternal Echoes. Echoes.